0: Namur Tasa Bhakawato Adahadur Sama Sambhutasana Mur Tasa Bhakawato Adahadur Sama Sambhutasana Mur Tasa Bhakawato Adahadur Sama Sambhutasa Bhutang Tamang Sankang Namasami So today you had the the opportunity to talk to each other and then you can contemplate the result of that, having spent the past week not talking, and then at the meal time I assume I wasn't here, you you were talking and then I heard you at tea time. Just to, to reflect on that, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, how things are. Nothing wrong with it, is it? Just the way it is. And uh, so that we get to see like, like talking, uh, it tends to stir the mind up. Thinking about, the world—it's uh, like when you you get these depressing images of say uh, when they're in Rwanda of these uh, stories of these people being uh, you know butchered and atrocities. These kind of images are are you know there's something uh, one finds them quite interesting or. They make news. They're sensational. But also, we recognize that they, it uh, it's it's uh, a very sad feeling that one gets about that uh, to see to hear even just hear about somebody killing somebody else or brutalizing somebody. It's sad. I mean, you look at the just the even if it's not true when you hear it. You hear this news but it's not true. Just hearing the news, even if it's not true, it's still sad. That's the way it is. The the kind of mean-heartedness, the brutality, uh, the bad side or the dark side of humanity. When we hear that, what does does your mind, how, how does it affect your mind? I feel saddened by it when I hear that kind of thing. Even though I don't know one Rwandan, I don't think I've ever met one in my life, never been there. Yet one can understand that, you know, the, 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 uh, how you know, that possibility is present in all of us uh, for brutality. So we're, we're living, as I've said many times over this past week, we're living in a sense realm. It's sensitive like this. Things affect us. A tone of voice affects us. In that sense, somebody says something in a, in a kind of cold, chilly tone of voice. You, you feel it. Somebody says something in a kind of glowing, warm, Friendly voice, you feel that it feels this way, and so this is what sensitivity is, is about. <laughs> we feel everything. We I mean, are like, like all our we're kind of uh, very vulnerable creatures that live in this on this planet, and we're we're exposed to all kinds of things: uh, pleasure and pain, and indifferent feeling so the the practice is to you know not to be frightened by but to to use the, this sensitive state for reflection, so this reflective, this Buddhist way of of observing. this is the way it is. This is the way it is. It's said in a tone not of a, a kind of fatalistic resignation. oh that's the way it is. It's not like that, it's just, thoughts oh, it's like this, it feels this way. For example, tomorrow's the last day of this retreat. And so we say last, tomorrow's the last day, how does that affect the mind? Something coming to an end. And we can observe the, just how we tend to react to that perception. It's different than we say, this is the first day of the retreat. It's a different feeling comes into the mind. Then tomorrow is the last day. So this is why with mindfulness and wisdom we we understand our human state much better so we can be more careful about it. We're not just kind of Unnecessarily creating conditions to be to feel frightened and resentful or greedy all the time. We, you know, we, we, we can learn how to see things as they really are. This is the purpose of the of the Dharma, Buddhist teaching. we contemplate the separation and the coming together of things. uh, These simple experiences that we do all the time. When you separate from something you like or somebody you love, what does it feel like? And when you meet them again, what does it feel like? You're observing the going back to the love, meeting the loved one, or the what you like, separating mean, of it feels like this. So you're observing the way life is. It's not like analyzing it on a personal level. Like there's no, uh, you should, you know, you. We we tend we can easily say I'm attached to my loved one. So every time I leave them, I feel you know a bit sad that I have to leave my my loved ones, and we take it personally like it's our kind of weak point, our neuroses. But the Buddha was pointing out, that's the way it is, it's just like that. (laughs) It's not like a neurotic thing, it's just it's just just obvious, good sense, isn't it? When you're in a place you like or with somebody you like or love, or it's all positive and leaving that is, feels this way. And then going back, meeting the love, going back to that place you love, it feels, what does that feel like? And so you, you, in these instructions on, on, on Dukkha, investigating Dukkha, the, the Buddha is saying that the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha, which is the the body grasping the the body itself, grasping feeling. This grasping, this this attachment, grasping perception, grasping uh, thinking, grasping consciousness as self, this self view, uh, is. When we, when we operate from, from the sense of ourself as a person, as a separate personality, then, then our lives are always in this state of, 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 of some form of suffering. Because life is a series of separations from the loved, isn't it? Coming together and separating. In that all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. To see your parents get old it's a comma it's what every human being has to do you, unless you die before your parents do. well, you die when your parents are still young <laughs> commonly speaking, we have to see our loved ones get old and sometimes get senile and suffer pain and uh revert to unbecoming behavior and you see old people sometimes they 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 get juvenile again or you talk people who have uh, you know who, who Alzheimer's disease you know, they lose their memory they forget even uh who what your name your the your own the, son, the name of their own son or daughter. <laughs> and this, this is rather hard to take, isn't it? Because our, our you know, we the, have to not even be recognized by somebody you love. It feels this way. I mean, it's, it's this, this reflection on, on like on Vedana, on the feeling of life, the attraction, repulsion neutrality how we we can feel like, like the tone of voice of somebody we can feel the uh, an atmosphere of a, of, a, of a group of people or a room or a place There's this is sensitivity to like this so you know contemplate this that, that a human lifetime is this is what we're experiencing until till the body dies. This is this is its this is what we learn from, this is what we live with. So when we open to this, like like with mindfulness, wisdom we're opening to it. When it's, when it's coming from this, when we're involved with the self-view, then we're frightened by it. It's, it's too much to be sensitive. You don't want to be too sensitive. It's, you feel so vulnerable and threatened by sensitivity that you, you try to make yourself hard and insensitive. This is very common. With men, isn't it? you are becoming a, like Victoria was saying, really hard man, you know, nothing, I don't cry. I don't, nothing can bother, nothing bothers me, making, it's like making yourself totally insensitive, so that you, your sensitivity seems weak, maybe, it seems, and you don't, you don't want to be weak, you want to be tough and strong. But in terms of Dhamma then, we, we're, we're, we're welcoming this sensitivity, we're seeing it as not as something to seek to be reborn into again, but it's, it's, a, it's what we have now and what we obviously need to learn from this state we're in, from our humanity, from this planet, from a body that's like this, from the characters we have and the kind of character or tendencies we have as individuals and so forth. We learn from it this way. It's not like any of us are at any great disadvantage. That there's some people, you know, that uh, can do it better than others. It's how willing you are to learn from the way you are and the way things are. You can't learn from the way I am. Or or something like that, you've got, you've got to learn from the way you are. But this is seeing the way you are not as me anymore, but as Dhamma. So you're putting it in terms of like the all that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing. All Dhamma is not self. This is, you're not seeing, you're changing your way of, of looking to, in, so that you're seeing it as it is, as Dhamma rather than the frightening way of interpreting always on a personal level, where we become cowardly and frightened by, by all the possibilities. Even when, even when life is going well, you can, you can be completely worried about the possibility of it all going wrong. People that, that win win honors and win like uh, trophies, athletic champions, and all that. They tell me that winning is is a kind of big moment, you know, when you when you when you've won the prize. But then the thought that comes immediately afterward is, what about next time? <laughs> <laughs> So even winning in this world being a champion having lots of money and and being the best always brings with it its opposite because you know you can't sustain it you can't stay at a peak moment you can't sustain a peak so so then you know people do suffer enormously from always trying to 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 live on the peaks And of course, they inevitably fail. It's just not the way life is. So in terms of of Dhamma, we're we're contemplating the way life is. And this is why uh, we establish this mindfulness on these ordinary things. Rather than trying to get ourselves into kind of extraordinary states of consciousness, to establish uh, the reflective ability on the, the breath, on the body, on the silence. So that this, this, is, this is not extreme, this is not uh, a peak moment, this is what, the way it is all the time, really. So then, this sensitivity is, is something that we learn from, so wisdom is, is, is developing. For example, just just experimentation with. Remember, in uh, the uh, first year with Ajahn Chah, we in monastic life you have you have uh, your life is very uh, you don't get much luxury or any kind of uh, the the life was very kind of without comforts in the, say the the first years in the forest monastery and so and yet you you know there was one part of you that uh, really wanted uh, some some form of pleasure and what the you you can't have meals in the afternoon you're you're not supposed to eat after the mid-noon sun solid food but the Buddha did allow things like sugar you could have sugar in the afternoon so you could have tea things like drinks, and you can have sugar in them. So because that is allowed in, in no other kind of, I mean, there's nothing else allowed that's, that's pleasurable. They allow these kind of bitter fruits that grow in tropical countries. But they're not very nice to eat. <laughs> But sugar, you know, I know before I was a monk, I didn't notice sugar hardly at all. I would uh, was completely indifferent to sugar. But when I became a monk, because you know, you're, you're celibate, uh, and you're, you're living a restrained life, so that all your lustful desires mm-hmm. seem to cathect on things like that you can have, like sugar. <laughs> so, so it was really amusing to see... The monks uh, become obsessed with sugar, and I did this. The first, you know, just became totally obsessed with sugar. Seeing how I could get it, and I remember one time I was trying to to stop this this obsession. So, and I thought, this is disgusting. I was, you know, a man my age. I, mean, I think about sugar all the time. <laughs> I was trying to think about spiritual things. You know. <laughs> have a. I thought it's ordaining to kind of reach a level, a kind of a celestial realm, or some, some lovely thoughts about life in the universe. And then the obsessions are going around the most civ- silly kind of objects. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I went on this fast for a week. And during this fast, I Ajahn Chah gave me a bag of sugar and uh, he just said, here, take this, and took this bag of sugar. And I remember going back to my little hut and sitting down and then started looking at this sugar. (laughs) And I thought, I'll I'll just taste it. And uh, I took one spoonful and and then pretty soon I just consumed the whole bag of sugar. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't stop it, I just completely... Uh, once I started the 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 pleasure of this, and so then I started contemplating that I could take this personally. Like I'm a greedy so and so, and this is disgusting behavior, and and uh, you know really look down on myself for doing it. But then I decided to contemplate this: what is there about this situation that that this is happening? You know, so contemplating the. The, the causes of this, this kind of suffering one thing I began to contemplate that, that sugar is happiness sweetness I take some sugar and put it in my, on my tongue and I just let it be there and just feel this, this sweetness and, it, so, and it's very pleasant so pleasure is addictive it, we want you have this sweetness you want and when it's gone you want some more so, you know, it's just a natural process that takes place. This isn't like a neurotic problem, uh, uh, you know, necessarily. It's just, just the way it is. Sweetness is like this. It's, it's, it's happiness. It's heaven. These kind, of, these kind of images come into the mind. And so when you, when you have one, one little bit, you want more. So then you usually, you know, you can keep going until you don't feel any, feel very well because you eat so much sugar and then you you feel sick. (laughs) Then you've got unpleasant feeling. And then you don't want any sugar. You look at it with disgust, but not for very long. It starts looking good again. (laughs) Then one time they, um, they had this, they used to have these Drinks in the afternoon where you'd go into the kind of meeting hall and 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 there would be a, this is in the evening and they'd have a big kind of kettles usually it was some kind of sweet drink like coffee or tea and and they and, and that monks in Thailand when they make sweet coffee it's really sweet it's like syrup and tea it's not just like little half a teaspoon in a cup it's like syrup, so. And and when you're when you're living, with the, the food was was quite uh, didn't have much sweet in it. You know, we had hardly any sweets in the diet. And and yet there was, so so that one uh, really looked forward to these uh, sweet drinks. So one day, I remember going in, and Ajahn Chah said, "Here, have some of this." He pulled out, picked up this big kettle and and I greedily put my cup out, and he poured me some of this drink. I took a sip, and it, it was bitter. It was one of these bitter fruit drinks. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was watching me, and I could see you know, that, that, I was, I was, that I was just feeling this, this, I didn't want to have another sip. Because bitterness is like that, isn't it? You take a sip, and you don't want any more. You want to get rid of it. And so that's just the way it is. And con- just contemplating this and, and, and deliberately doing these things helps you to understand why, why life is the way it is. And it's not just understanding it uh, intellectually, but actually experiencing the, the pull of, say, sweetness and the aversion to bitterness, just on the level of taste, just on the taste consciousness. So this, this realm is like this, There's a, these, these, this, this continuous kind of attraction and repulsion that is a part of our, what we're living with in this realm. So in, in this reflection, mode of reflection, we're, we're the witness of it. We don't have, we can be just caught in the, in the power of attraction and repulsion. You know, where we just react, you know, we see something we like, we, we go for it. We see something we don't like, we reject it. And, and we, don't, we don't reflect it or we don't know, we just operate according to these principles. But the human mind has this, this reflective capacity to observe. And so we can, we can go against the, the, uh, the momentum of attraction and repulsion. In any society, in civilization, is civilization is the attempt to control this, isn't it? So that we, so that we uh, have some measure of what what is what is you know, we're socially conditioned to to maybe not gobble down bags of sugar in public because people would would look down on us, even though at the time we might feel like it. We wouldn't do it because it would be considered. Uh, bad manners, and social conditioning is also very strong, to not look mean or look bad in front of others. We, don't, we want to present ourselves as being dignified and being, you know, uh, in a certain way we want to appear and, and, and impress others. And so we don't do certain things in front of others because it would not impress, it would impress them maybe the other way. They get the wrong impression, or bad Im- impression. So contemplating this, see, we uh, we we see the uh, the attraction-aversion principle, that the, the coming together, the separating, the the loss of the love, the, the love, the people we love, are attracted to, we go toward, we like to be with the 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 feeling of having to be with with things that we don't like or don't want people we don't like situations we don't want it feels like this, so we're noting we're we're not just reacting or just suppressing our feelings but noticing being with what we don't like feels like this, and this gives us a a kind of ability to transcend the situation we're in doesn't mean we we don't feel it, we're not turning ourselves off, or cutting ourselves off from it, but we're not caught, blindly caught, helplessly caught in the power of these forces that that affect us in this realm. We're learning from it. In the there's a, there's a video when the uh, Vipassana teachers, or the American, most of them American meditation teachers, met with the Dalai Lama two years ago in Dharamsala. And there's this nun, uh, a, Bhik- a bhikkhuni, uh, who's uh, English, uh, but in, ordained in the Tibetan tradition. And she's trying to tell the Dalai Lama about the, the uh, rotten conditions that bhikkhunis women have to face in the uh, as nuns living in India and uh, so she was going on in quite vivid detail or, uh, about the sad conditions that these nuns have to put up with and, uh, and the Dalai Lama after she finished he, then he started crying and it's an interesting thing isn't it to think I mean, you think the Dalai Lama, you know, would be beyond crying? You think of a wise man or an enlightened being as someone who, who just—it's well, not self, impermanent—wouldn't <laughs> feel. But uh, obviously, that isn't the case, is it? There's—he there's, was feeling it. He was aware. Of, you know, just the, the descriptions that she was giving, the power of what she was saying—he was feeling it. He was willing to feel that. He wasn't just shutting her off and uh, and uh, dismissing it or, or or rejecting it. But it's a it's an, but so it's it's saying mindfulness doesn't mean we don't feel life. We're not we're not becoming kind of cold and distant and and uh, and, and refusing to participate or feel or be with life. But we're we're actually willing to to fully participate and feel it. Another story: some about some Zen master, a Japanese Zen master, that uh, and the, and and one and some some student idolized this master and considered him you know, the ideal Zen master that was, that had been fully, that was fully attained. So anyway, uh, somebody died in the monastery and, and they had the funeral and the Zen master, when he saw the corpse of this person, he started crying and really crying hard, wailing. And so the, and, and of course everybody was a bit disturbed by this. So the the student was really wondering, you know, if this man was was so attained, you know, why would he break down in public like that, you know, and, and, and cry, wail over the loss of this the death of this this person. So he asked the master later and he said, he said well that was, uh, she, he, he said that was, uh, that was somebody that I love very much d- died. And so it was, a, it's a natural, when you love somebody very much and they die, that's, uh, maybe that's the way it is. But it wasn't like refusing to feel, is it? Or there was still the, the these kind of responses to it. But it's not taken on a personal level, or when we're, when we're frightened of our feelings, and that, then we do, we, tr- we control, we, we shut down, we don't feel. So you can see mindfulness, wisdom, isn't, isn't cutting us off from feeling, but allowing us to, to feel so we can understand it. Because sometimes the, the images we have of an enlightened master is somebody who doesn't feel anything. Sitting there completely above it all, beyond all this, this stuff here. <laughs> well, these are just uh, kind of examples of say that, that don't, don't preconceive what enlightenment is and try to act out Enlighten, like you're enlightened, or or think that that you you shouldn't uh, have any kind of feeling or emotion about things that happen, but you're really aware, like being aware of the sadness of news, of bad news. when I mean, you're willing to feel feel the the, the the feel that, where we can just read it and in in, in not feel anything just go, oh, isn't that horrible, and then go on to the next item. But I mean, when we're, I mean, we have so much, you know, in a society like this, with mass media and so many things we, you know, we do, we are kind of bombarded with all kinds of, of, of things all the time. You don't want to become someone who's just, you know, completely lost in feeling, but in the, but in the mindfulness of feeling. So that we we see the, the like like uh, grief, for example, when somebody you, you know dies, somebody you love dies. That grief is is a natural experience. It's not like a, a a personal weakness. That feeling, what is what is grief? And it is. It's just that is that when somebody you love dies, it's. Uh, Somebody, something you like is, is taken away from you, or lost, it's like this, it's this way. So you notice it, like, like tasting, what, what, is, what is sweetness really like in the sugar? What is grief really like? And so these things are all bearable, we can bear with these things. These, these are, this isn't suffering, this isn't dukkha. Until we start reacting to it in terms of liking disliking and 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 getting lost in in the old habits reactions to this sensitive state, then we create suffering when we can really do this, then we are we liberated from the the uh, we aren't making karma. We're not, we're not attaching to anything. So we're letting things flow in our lives. The, nat- the law of the conditioned realm is all that is subject to rising and subject to ceasing. We're letting things arise, cease, arise, cease. But we're not hanging on. We're not trying to change the pattern. We're, we're able to flow with that, with that natural pattern that which is so in, in this this mode of mindfulness awareness we're developing that that kind of strength and knowledge the truth of the way it is the Dharma now you can see in in this tranquility and then talking and then the mind that's all stirred up is tranquility we tend to to like and the kind of mental agitation we don't like because one is pleasant the other is unpleasant. So you can but Mm. trust in being the one that's aware of this rather than wanting to become someone who's tranquil and then Feeling annoyed at yourself because your mind's agitated <laughs> you see what I mean we can we <laughs> that your refuge is in awareness of tranquillity and agitation, not in taking refuge in tranquility, and then tranquillity is easily disrupted, so it's not a very stable refuge you can easily. Destroy somebody's tranquility. <laughs> Just by a tone of voice. <laughs> I remember getting so selfish and getting on these long retreats and get so tranquil. <laughs> and then then somebody'd uh, do something make a noise or something You can feel so so averse to somebody who is who is, might have a cold or something or they they rustle their robes or some some little thing <laughs> 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 can can drive you to any day just throw them out of the meditation all <laughs> Because you, you, you're sitting there, kind of fully enjoying this tranquility, really not mindful of it, but just yeah. indulging in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then something annoying happens, and you 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 can feel this real anger, like wanting to kick them out of the meditation hall. <laughs> that is. <laughs> You realize the attachment we have to to, to refinement, and, the, and how when when we get it, when we get tranquil, we just I want to keep it. But keep in mind, the refuge isn't in in that. That's not that's not your refuge, but in that way of seeing it, seeing it in terms of dhamma. All that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing, and to see anatta. Keep, keep. Invest- what, what am I really then? If I'm not this body, if this isn't me, is this body really me? And so, being, you have to believe that your body's not you, but question it, you know, and, and really contemplate this, this, this physical body. As if it's, if it's really mine. Why won't it, uh, why can I make it do what I want? Why can't I say, don't grow old? It still grows old, no matter how many times I tell it not to. Or, you know, when you think of it, you think of this body knows what to do. You know, like when you eat your meal, eat your food, all you have to do is put it in your mouth, swallow it, and the body knows what to do with the rest of it. Just think if, if the body were really ours, we'd have to spend the whole day trying to find the right places for this food to go. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have time for anything else. It's just the body knows what it's doing because it's not, it's not ours. It's, uh, it's, if not, we don't have to... To, uh, we, all we have to do is just be reasonable about what we put in it and then the and the body will take care of it things like this questioning it and and then uh, just the feeling am i am i this attraction uh, repulsion neutral thing well if i am then i'm all over the place you know attraction repulsion because this this realm we're in, we're provided with endless uh, challenges on that level. You know, nothing stays attractive for very long. Then it changes. I mean, you're always kind of being caught with uh, with pleasure and pain and attraction and repulsion. So, so if if that's what I really am is feeling, then uh, then it is it. You know, you're you're just all over the place. And then, am I the Sanya, perception, and that's that's quite a strong identity. I am sumato Bhikkhu and I am this. The way we attach to to the to our the perceptions of ourself, but when you when you investigate the nature of sanya, you see it's just it's a mental function, ephemeral function of the mind so then then, uh, then the sankara. Am I, am I this uh, emotion this thinking emotion is proliferating and by, by really asking yourself is this really me and mine is this what I really am you, you're kind of investigating these five kandas, five aggregates five groups so it breaks. You 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 begin to really break down the the assumptions and illusions you have about yourself being the five these five groups. <coughs> so that's like investigation into the Dhamma, and and it really helps to clarify. You know, that, to see things in a different way because otherwise we we do operate from from the self-view, the assumption that I am this person, is an ongoing 24-hour day, 365 day of the year, 60 years of being me, this person, when I looked at, you know, more for what's really taking place, these things that change all the time. But the thing you trust is not in the conditions anymore, but in the awakeness, being mindful of it. Because that isn't—you can always rest in that. That's your place of rest. The others you can't. They're—they're they're too subject to—to to all kinds of other influences. They're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're always changing anyway. So you can't—you can't. There's no rest possible in the conditioned realm. So the—the—the the, the path to the deathless is uh, mindfulness. Upamado amatapadang in Pali. Upamado means not being heedless. Is the way to the to realize the deathless. And in Buddhism, these words like investigation, looking into, insight, is very important in, in this, this form. That, you know, it's like really giving you an opportunity, kind of encouraging you to to look into life, to to investigate it, not to be just operating from from uh, the conditioning conditioned mind. Just stuck with what you got when you were from your parents and your culture, and and then kind of go on with that. You, we can actually get really get free from the conditioning of the mind. And this investigation is isn't, you know, is, is, is through this listening. What this this kind of attitude of listening and watching paying attention contemplating it is this really me or like with, with sw- tasting sugar what is the sweetness really like you know? so you, you're, you're really noticing that what, what attraction is but not taking it personally you're observing the way things are but you're not putting it in the context of. I have a sweet tooth, but <laughs> sweetness is, attra- is attractive. It's, it makes you want. What is attractive, what is pleasurable, makes you want more. It's obvious, isn't it? What is uh, bitter and repulsive makes you want to get rid of it, run away from it. Pain in your in your body makes you want to get away from it. you want to get rid of it pleasure you want to hold on to it but don't be the one who's trying to hold on to the pleasure or get rid of the pain but the the witness of it the observer that is your refuge that is the that is the, the point of, of where you can liberate yourself from the power of attraction and aversion So that's enough.